welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 1, Episode 11, Nightmares. The original air date for this episode was January 15th, 1986, so we're in 1986 now. Um, we have director Cliff Bull for the first time, and he's going to mm-hmm. direct a significant chunk of the series. Uh, and this was written by James Schmierer, whose work we've seen in the past yeah. and enjoyed, I think. Um, we also finally have Pete. Yes, thank goodness. Yes, it took long <laughs> enough for Pete to show up. We well, miss him so much from the pilot. <laughs> he, yeah, he was <laughs> from he not was, Pete. He was from Andy, Andy Colson back in the day, but we got Pete back, so that's very exciting. Um, so why don't we go ahead and do a, a brief overview of this episode? All right. Well, in this episode, MacGyver, returning from uh, a mission, presumably in, in Europe, uh, has recovered a list of stolen do- uh, list of some kind, probably agents' names again. Yeah. Uh, but he's ambushed. He and Peter ambushed right at the beginning. And while he hides the list, he, MacGyver himself is captured and given a death serum that will kill him within a certain amount of time unless he gives up the information. And uh, he spends a lot of time hallucinating and uh, wandering around and befriends this young girl. And they're both being pursued now by these men. Right. Okay. And then I think uh, we can move into the full, uh, the full episode description. Like you said, uh, we're, uh, we're following MacGyver into San Pedro Harbor. Mm-hmm. He's just coming back from uh, behind the Iron Curtain, he says. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. Cause since, it's, since Kurt Nielsen, the villain of this, is kind of a German, I'm assuming it's probably East Germany. Yeah, that would be my guess. But it, it's interesting that because uh, this, this will be now his second time coming back from behind the Iron Curtain when we did that at Tifa Budapest right, at right. the border crossing. And then he's going to do it again in the next episode, like right up, right up front. And uh, in his opening uh, monologue type thing, he, he mentions the, the water, the rushing water. <laughs> you, yeah. had, you took issue with that? Yeah, he says that 80 decibels of rushing water is the most pleasing sound. Well, 80 decibels is pretty dang loud. Yeah. It, like I was looking at some comparisons. Like 80 decibels is roughly the same as a, a semi-truck. I, I, I'm assuming maybe idling, but you're standing right next to it. There's actually laws in place that restrict vehicles from making a sound louder than 80 decibels. Yeah, so it seems like maybe they meant to say 8, which is really quiet, but still, like, not almost eardrum-numbing. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just because the sound of, of rushing water is actually, like, a calmer sound. Like, it's it's a more soothing sound, so mm. at, even at 80 decibels, is not that painful. Yeah. But it does seem what like what he's talking about is way too loud. Yeah. And uh, the ship we're seeing MacGyver come in on, um, at least I'm assuming it's the ship that he came in on. We, when, when we see, um, written by James Schmierer, that it's over the top of a ship that's pulled up in the harbor, and they're unloading it. Um, so I'm assuming it's the one that he came off mm-hmm. of. And then we cut immediately to him walking down the docks. But that ship um, is the SS Lane Victory, which uh, is in San Pedro. And so he's actually in San Pedro, which he, he says he's in San Pedro. And we're just, right. This is San Pedro for San Pedro. Uh, do we know what, what kind of ship is that? Do you know what kind of ship? I actually don't know. Is it like a f- cargo ship? Um, but the reason I recognized it was because I, I actually worked on that ship as a production assistant um, for a reality show on the military channel. It was called Special Ops Mission. And the premise of the show was basically that a team of contestants that were made up of veterans from various armed forces were, were pitted against the show's lead, uh, this guy named Will Willis. Or we <laughs> called him Whiskey Whiskey because when we were talking right, to him on right. the radio. Um and uh, it was like a simulated war game type show. But the, this episode, uh, 
the the episode I worked on uh, that used the ship was season one, episode five. It was called Operation Pirate Guns. But I just thought that was funny. I was like, that looks yeah. like the ship that we worked on. And, and then I looked it up, and sure enough, it's the same one. So, so it's been there a while. Yeah, and it's actually in a bunch of movies. It's in, like, the Ninja Turtles movie, and it's in, uh, I can't remember. There's there's a filming locations list. I'll actually, you know what, I'll put it on the on the blog. So yeah, yeah. Uh, if people pull uh, the podcast up on, on the, our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com, we'll, we'll post a link to uh, the Lane Victory film credits page. And it's pretty extensive. They've been in a lot of TV shows, a bunch of movies. Yeah, I guess it's probably just kept in the harbor, pretty much just for yeah, productions. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it ever goes out anymore. I think it's pretty much. Although there was uh, one credit I saw that had something to do with uh, someone towing it. So maybe mm. maybe I mean it is mobile. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Well, even ships that are like generally not under their own power, yeah. they can be they can be towed they out. They can be towed stuff. around, like the Queen Mary and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. And the same ship, the SS Lane Victory, actually comes back for the penultimate uh, MacGyver episode. So it's like a ways down the line. This mm-hmm. is season 7, uh, episode 13, The Stringer. Um, and I don't know how much of a part it plays in the episode. I would imagine maybe somewhat similar. Yeah, it's probably minimal. But I, I think they actually do go on the ship with cameras okay. for that episode. So while walking, down the, you know, while walking down the pier doing his little mo- opening monologue, uh, he encounters this young girl trying to fish who seems to have only caught some seaweed at the end of her end of her pole. Right. And she's like whacking it hard against the ground, trying to get it off. Cause she's for some reason, totally against just grabbing the string and actually yeah. taking it off. Well, no one wants to actually touch seaweed. It's really, I know. guess, I guess that's the especially, logic. you know what, especially San Pedro Harbor seaweed. Yeah. Probably and not. I also question the fish that you would get yeah. from this Harbor. But MacGyver pretends she's using the seaweed as bait. Yeah. And she doesn't really put up an argument to that. Like, he just is like, oh, you know, seaweed's not great bait. And she's like, yeah, well, I don't have good bait. And it's like, wait, were you actually trying to use seaweed as bait? Uh, MacGyver rigs up a nice little uh, reflective lure with a gum wrapper. Right. So is this like the – no, this isn't the first This is the second one. Second gum wrapper. Yeah, because like Hellfire, we had a, a, a makeshift box. fuse box. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he makes a gum wrapper – and then, you know, she immediately tests it out and catches the fish that he and Harry did not catch. Right. It's <laughs> from the Target same footage. MacGyver. They, use the, they recut the footage into there. So either Target MacGyver used the footage of this fish being caught here uh-huh. or we're using we're using the same fish here that we used in the last episode. And it originally probably came from some fishing show anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not even related. And I love that as he's walking away from her, she's like, you know, I can't pay you for this. Like he was going to charge her for the gum wrapper that he folded up. And yeah, exactly. Hook. Just catch something. Um, and then uh, at the same time, we're introduced to, I mean, we see we see Pete walking around on the docks, mm-hmm. but we're sort of intercutting with uh, these, uh, it, like you said, I think they're East German yeah. agents waiting in a car. Oh, well, one of them is uh, is, an, is at least, I th- well, I think one of them is at least American and must be cooperating. Like he must be like their their liaison as far as operations that take place in America. How, how have you determined that? Oh, well, I mean, I, I can get into it if we're going to like. Because we're after we talk about it later, but he's he's paid in U.S. dollars, so I'm assuming he's staying in America. Oh, that makes sense. So uh, he must he must just be a local hire. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, uh, and that character is Barrett. You're saying correct. Yeah. So Barrett is their like hired, like mm-hmm. sort of hitman. Yeah, he's sort of hitman. He's he's more like of the handler, I guess, of the other thugs. Like right. Like Nielsen hired Barrett, and Barrett is responsible for the other local locals just to keep because nielsen doesn't know the the country like he doesn't right. know the city at least so he needs someone who 
he can pay. Knows a way around. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And um, Kurt Nielsen, I'm assuming, is a distant cousin of Nielsen's Flying School. <laughs> yeah. From uh, from Last Stand. That that's the real reason that she doesn't talk about her father is right. that he he left he, <laughs> he left, left to the... join the communists. <laughs> and the actor playing uh, Kurt Nielsen here is Robert O'Reilly. Um, which is my last name, but his last name is spelled differently. It's R-E-I-L-L-Y. Mm-hmm. So it's not R-I-L-E-Y. So like close. Mine is. But uh, he was apparently, uh, at one point, he was in an episode of Dallas, wherein his character was named Patrick O'Reilly, <laughs> which is my first name and last name. And uh, despite the fact that his last name is spelled R-E-I-L-L-Y, this mm-hmm. time it was actually spelled correctly, the yeah. way I spell it. Yours is the correct way. Yes. Um, the character of Lisa Allen, the girl that's fishing with seaweed, right. is played by uh, actress Tammy Lauren, who um, she's the lead in uh, the first Wishmaster movie. Um, she was Lily on the Drew Carey show, who was, uh, I think, at one point engaged to Drew Carey, mm-hmm. almost marries him and then leaves at the last second. Um, she was also Patty on a number of Home Improvement episodes. And then you had noted she was she was on over 100 episodes, of, or at least is credited in over 100 episodes. Oh, uh, yeah, of Young and the Restless. Right. I mean, it's very possible that she did film 100 episodes. Because uh, it's a daily series. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if she actually appears in all 100 episodes. Uh, perhaps we will find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also noted that uh, she's in the movie Mad City. Um, and the only reason I made that note was because uh, the character – Barrett, uh, as, as played by J.P. Bumstead, is also in Mad City. Um, his his credit is just Fisherman, mm. which I thought was funny that they're both in this MacGyver and they're both in Mad City, and here she's playing the Fisherman. And right. There, there he Fisher, is. Fisherwoman? Fisherwoman. I think that's <laughs> what they prefer to be called. <laughs> Those Fisherwomen. <laughs> so Kurt Nielsen, the, the leader of this group, is with East German Intelligence. He's um, a colonel, I believe. Uh, later on, people will refer to him as colonel. Right. I think that's correct. Um, and I love that uh, basically we, we see the – we start with the reuniting of MacGyver and Pete. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just like kind of excited to see each other. And, and MacGyver explains very on the nose like, oh, yes, I have the list of the terrorists and, and everything. That, yeah. And all their names and everything. And, uh, and Pete's kind of – already on the lookout it seems like he knows something was going to go down here yeah but what i like is like uh macgyver reaches into his coat and he says not here not here but macgyver actually kim ken who's reaching in and pulls out his sunglasses like that's what he was reaching for this whole yeah, time yeah. he was overreacting to it yeah uh but yeah instantly we see a couple of we see nielsen and barrett i believe approaching them and pete looks at him and goes oh we got some trouble and this and- this line from pete i love You get that list out of here. Sure. Now. Move. And Pete's just ready to take both of them on. So yeah. he's just like, both. They're both <laughs> for me. I'm going to take them. You get out of here with that stuff. Which, I don't know why they didn't assume that the handoff had already occurred there. Right. Because they, they, they still go after MacGyver. Right. And they knew that MacGyver hid it somehow. Probably because it wasn't on him. But then I don't know why they didn't assume that he had given it to Pete. Yeah. And Pete is, like, disabled in this scene. But nobody ever goes to him. Or checks him for anything. Right, he's shot by Barrett. Yeah, and uh, in the arm. Yeah. Right. So yeah. he's, he's he, it's a it's a wound, but he. It's it, not gonna... it looks like the landing would have hurt more than the shot. Actually, yeah. the way he like crumples onto the floor. Uh, MacGyver manages to he, he hits a uh, crisp with his uh, duffel bag. 
I think like he's got like a it's not even really a duffel bag it's like some kind of like suitcase I don't know what you call it almost but uh, he hides behind a car and when Crisp is kind of like nosing around he comes back and just like wails on him he hits him so hard that MacGyver himself falls to the ground just right. from lack of control of the swing and Crisp is the bigger guy the bigger guy who's who's always eating right uh, Crisp sandwiches I don't know <laughs> <laughs> that that's his restaurant. Yeah, um, you had made the point that it seems like every, every time we see him, he's pulling a half-eaten sandwich out of his yeah, pocket. Yeah, he, he he never has a whole sandwich. It's always, you know, probably because from each take, like, he's having to take a bite out of the sandwich. Like, Just take one bite because you're going to need to... I have a feeling he showed up on set with sandwiches in his pockets. Oh, that would be so great. Like, he was just like... <laughs> he's just a character actor that yeah, does that. my character eats sandwiches, and so do I. Uh, while on the run, MacGyver sees a police officer writing a ticket for a car. And uh, feels okay. I'm safe. Here's an, here's a police officer. You can so call safe it in. that as he's approaching him, he says, "You are an officer of the law. I can tell," <laughs> which is a weird way to introduce yourself. Because clearly, actually, he can't tell. Yeah, <laughs> uh, poor MacGyver, because uh, he's the cop is actually one of the bad guys, but leads MacGyver on. It's like, oh, what can I what can I do for you? And as soon as MacGyver turns the point to where Pete might be, uh, the guy he gives him judo a chopped. yeah, just judo chop right in the neck. Yeah. And, um, and then we cut to this uh, reverse angle of MacGyver collapsing to the ground. But when he turns back to look at the camera, you can tell... He's already sweaty. Yeah, this is this is a, a footage from post-injection from this. Uh, uh, later on, uh, MacGyver will be sort of uh, intoxicated by a poison. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very clearly in this scene already being affected by it. Right. And I think what happened was there's there's... I'll explain uh, later in the show where I think this shot came from, but they just, I don't think they had a good angle on MacGyver hitting the ground after this guy judo chops him Mm -hmm. and they needed to cut something in. So they had this other shot of MacGyver on the ground, like incapacitated. And they were like, we could just cut this in over and it'll work fine. And it it does work fine. Cause I didn't didn't see it on my first pass. I had to watch it a couple of times. It's really quick. I mean, it, you know, you can tell that the concrete's different because he's in a parking lot in the wide shots. And then it's like, a cracked curb side, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's I also, fine. I also love that uh, Polk is so committed to the, his policeman's costume that he's actually writing tickets yeah. <laughs> in San Pedro. <laughs> so there's like people that are getting tickets on their cars. Like, did he actually have a pad of tickets, or was it just like post-its? He's yeah, just cars. plot twist: he's writing a ticket on Pete's car. Uh, we don't actually see what happens to Pete. Uh, we see him later, uh, but back in his office. Yeah, but. Uh, but as soon as MacGyver's knocked out, like it's pretty much Pete back at the office, and he's going over the. They, they have some photographs, I guess, of some German agents who they know coming in and out of the country, yeah. and Pete's able to identify Nielsen from right. from these photographs. And the person who's showing him the photographs, I think we decided this is Carlisle. There's yeah. A, there's a character. Uh, the actor is J. Michael Flynn. He's credited as Carlisle. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're pretty sure this is him because there's not a lot of other characters in the episode yeah. for that name to apply to. I mean, but is... I don't think he refers to him specifically as Carlisle. No, he doesn't. But you said that he comes back, or at least a Carlisle comes back. Right. Uh, this, the same actor comes back um, three episodes from now, season one, episode 14, Countdown. And he, he's credited again as Carlisle, but this time they put an S between the Y and the L in Carlisle, mm. which I don't, I've never seen this, this the, the second spelling yeah. um, before. Yeah. But I'm assuming that it's going to be he's going to be the secretary to Pete again. Yeah, yeah, the second hand, second second in command. Right. Uh, do we mention that Pete works for the DXS? Um, I don't think we did. 
Um, so this is this episode will be introducing the DXS. Yeah, and which we determined to be the Department of External Services. Services, I believe. Yeah. And this is a, a sort of precursor to the Phoenix Foundation, yeah. where the, this podcast's title comes from. The next scene is MacGyver in a chair, getting strapped down, and uh, Nielsen casually asking him questions, knowing that these questions are not going to be answered by MacGyver, because he's already prepared the uh, classic green serum to, uh, I mean, why is it green? (laughs) It's green purely for the effect of the camera. Right. Like, most of these things do not have, like, a color to them. It's uh, specially made for MacGyver, though. Maybe MacGyver has a particular fear of green. (laughs) But he he claims that the I mean they they seem to have such a genetic knowledge of MacGyver that they know exactly how this will affect him and within minutes how long it will take yeah. to to be incurable. Well, probably uh, I would I would assume maybe to his body weight, like he has to know exactly like how maybe. much to give him or how how potent the poison has to be for a person of his type. Like if it, if he was like a a larger guy, they might have to use a, a stronger. If this were crisp, they'd need yeah. a couple needles. <laughs> Just kidding. I would just squeeze it into his sandwich. (laughs) Just stab him in the pocket with a needle when he's not paying attention. Oil and vinegar and some some serum. (laughs) Uh, There's a really creepy moment when uh, Nielsen is filling the needle and looks at MacGyver's arm and says, You have good veins. Thank you. And MacGyver's response is so frightened. It's somber. Yeah. It's very genuine. Yeah, he's like, Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> like, but it, but it's not even it doesn't even feel like ironic. Like it yeah. just feels like he's he's genuinely taking it as a compliment. Like, thanks. Yeah. It's like uh so oh, yeah, I hate I'm, I'm glad they don't show a close up of in in the injection. I hate when they do that. Yeah. Um it's just always, I mean, it's usually just the collapsing needle trick. Yeah, but, but it, it looks so real because it pushes you know, you always see Yeah, the it, skin like, goes in, yeah. 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 Uh and uh, right away he starts telling him about what the serum's going to do to him. It's gonna first, it's gonna basically wipe his memory. Yeah, uh, he's gonna be very disoriented, hallucinating. Uh, Which you had pointed out makes this the first technical amnesia episode. Yeah, we're gonna have a couple episodes where MacGyver takes a knock or or for whatever reason can't remember the situation that he's in, and it's always obviously a very dangerous situation. And sometimes who he is, like in, yeah. in the case of this episode, I think he actually forgets he's MacGyver. Correct for a little bit. Uh, and the but eventually the serum he'll his mind will clear once the serum kind of runs its course a little bit more. But if he doesn't take an antidote within I believe was it six hours, something like that. Yeah, I think uh, it is six hours. Uh, that the serum will kill him. Yeah. So, but what, it's not going to kill him at the six hour mark. Correct. If he doesn't take the the, the cure pill. the yeah the the antidote within that six hour window, then it will be incurable and he mm-hmm. will be doomed. He, he's taken an awful lot of faith too that uh, Nielsen has an antidote at all, because you you were saying that. Well, that... It, yeah, I got the same impression that I did when like Lauche and Indiana Jones are fighting over their antidote, which I think is another green vial. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, why would you even bring an antidote? Like, do you really care if Indiana Jones survives this conversation? All you want is your diamond, right? Yeah. Like, and all all this guy wants is is it's information on where this stuff has been hidden, like. Why did you make an antidote? Well, as I was saying, like you, you have to at least have a guise of an antidote. Yeah, cause, yeah, cause, and that's why I, I just thought it was, so, it was crazy. Like when you're watching, like Indiana Jones, like rolling around on the floor, it's like that could just be water with green food coloring. I mean, it probably technically was. Yeah. But it's just like, why would that be an antidote? I don't understand what their motive would be to provide that for you. <laughs> nice try, Lao Shea. 
in, in this episode of MacGyver, the antidote is a pill, and it's in this extremely long metal tube for this yes. little pill. Maybe there are multiple pills in there. Uh, he's got more injections later for other agents that yeah. he's captured. But uh, yeah, like he and he and he keeps handling the actual pill. It's like it's like. Uh. And even weirder here, the plan was never to give him the pill. Yeah. Like they their mission goes off without a hitch, as far as Nielsen knows. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, we'll get there, but, but he doesn't hand the pill over to MacGyver. Yeah. Like like supposedly was the deal. Act two starts off at the warehouse where the Germans and the American the uh, the bad guy Americans are hiding out. And the, they're not. No plans to unleash MacGyver. They're gonna let the serum. It's just like a, just let him sit with it. Yeah, they they know they're gonna hear him go crazy for a while, and then when he starts to make more sense, then they're gonna go up and interrogate him, basically. Mm-hmm. So they lock him up in this uh, little room. You know, it's it's like a cell, but it's you know, because it's got a bathroom. I mean, it's probably just a repurposed bathroom for whatever building this is. Sure. Because you know, it had a bathroom stall and sink. Yeah. But they just threw a cot in there for, yeah. for to let him to let him relax. And so MacGyver, before the serum starts taking any kind of real effect, is able to create a crazy mattress slingshot. slingshot yeah. Uh, he takes all the springs out. and I like, thought this was a pretty cool one. It's really cool. Uh, I don't know. I still don't think all those springs came. There were that many springs. But I, I don't think that they would take apart a mattress and like not and add springs to it because they were like, oh, you know what? There's not enough springs here. Let's just like add more springs. I feel like on set they would have been like, we have to use springs that are in this mattress. I, I don't think there were any more springs than were in the mattress in this slingshot. <laughs> Watch your for yourself and decide, viewers. Um, <laughs> they he he gets all the springs hooked up and he puts them on the bed frame and hooks the other ends to the to the door to the his little cell. So all the springs for the mattress are suspending this bed frame to the to the front door of the Correct. cell, and he's pulling it back as hard as he can, mm-hmm. intending to use it as a slingshot when they come to retrieve him from the cell. Correct. But in order to get them to come up, he then uh, uses his belt, which is kind of strange that his belt is hollow. There's some. I think like I have them. belts like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I I I buy cheap belts, so sure. <laughs> uh, he he manages to stretch the opening on one end of the hole around the drain pipe of a sink and then runs the other end to an electrical socket and just lets the water drain down through the electrical conduit which blows out a fuse box downstairs while Crisp is once again eating a sandwich. Eating. Uh, I don't see if he pockets it or he just throws it down because they walk over to the fuse box when it explodes. Yeah. Uh, They're just like, what's that? Sounds like water. And it's like, this is all electrical. Maybe we shouldn't be standing right next to it. Yeah. Boom! But also, uh, like, and they even say on their way up the stairs that Nielsen warned them that MacGyver might try something like this. Why, yeah. why are you standing, like, one foot away from the circuit board? Yeah, and, and why why were you letting... Well, I guess Barrett does complain to MacGyver, or Polk says, to Crisp. You know, what are you doing down here? He says, oh, I'll go up there when I hear him screaming and yeah, doing, yeah. doing whatever. He's, he's fine now. So they run up the stairs to open up the door, and MacGyver's got his bed frame ready and releases it and it, it just goes right through the door yeah it just knocks the door out of the frame and throws these yeah. two guys against the wall into some barrels yeah lots of barrels in this episode yeah this is a, this is a um a closed down barrel factory yeah uh so macgyver makes his run out of the building but as soon as he hits the street he the the serum just starts to overtake him and we're not clear if he's completely lost it at this point but he's definitely getting disoriented. He's having trouble walking. Right. He tumbles on his way out the door, and I think this is where the shot comes from that they used back in the parking lot. Yeah, because the, the sidewalk does kind of look yeah. similar. 
So uh, I think they had a shot here, and then they cut it into that parking lot scene because they needed him on the ground after the judo chop. Mm-hmm. And then they decided that here they couldn't reuse the same shot, that people might recognize it. So instead they used this weird disorienting like smearing of the picture, which mm-hmm. I think is like an optical they would do um, Post. in post. Yeah. Uh, he starts uh, running down the street and almost gets hit by a truck. It like blares its horn. And I think this is, to me, this is the moment where he is totally now confused. Yeah. Because I, I think you also pointed out that right now, standing right in front of this truck, he's probably hearing 80, 80 decibels. decibels. <laughs> this is where those 80 decibels would have kicked in. <laughs> That's such a soothing sound. Yeah. Um, but You're I think dumb they, drunk. Yeah. Calls him a drunk. Well, he's, he, he, now he's sweating. He's staggering. Yeah. But he's still walking and he still has this sense of, uh, flight in him. And, he manages to come across the girl who he helped earlier with the uh, with the fish, Lisa. Right, she's walking down the street with a couple of her friends mm-hmm. in some like residential no, neighborhood. So called friends. Right, yeah, they're not the best friends in the world. Yeah, they 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 let the audience know that she's a runaway. He says you're a runaway. You can't help this guy because she sees MacGyver staggering around. But you know, MacGyver helped her out, so she says, "No, I have to help him." Yeah, she wants to you, return the favor. Yeah, pay, pay even it. if he is a heroin addict. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever. <laughs> Her two friends in the episode are credited as uh, Amy and Ron. Those are the names they got. And uh, Richard McGregor, who plays Ron, is going to come back way late in the series. Uh, Season 7, episode 11. So this is the fourth to last episode. And it's called Guns and Boys. It's sort of a Boys in the Hood influenced episode. Oh, so not so much Boys to Men. Uh, No, it's not not about an R&B group. It's about about some boys and their guns. Look forward to that one. Uh, so Lisa goes to help MacGyver, and her friends just walk. They're all like, oh, well, it's like, not, oh, she- not our problem now. Yeah, our friend screwed. got murdered by some junkie. <laughs> She's a runaway anyway. Uh, I'm just trying to imagine like the conversation later when the police find Lisa's body, and they're just like, so where did you last see her? It's like, oh, she tr- tried to help some junkie guy, and then she gave him a big knife to carve a fish with. <laughs> <laughs> Here, stranger. Take this night. <laughs> yeah. But so, uh, yeah. So she, she sort of gets him on his feet and takes him back to... To her place. Right. And her place, such as it is, her being a runaway, is a warehouse, another warehouse that she's kind of just... Probably like four doors down from the other warehouse. Yeah. It's the warehouse <laughs> district. Right. Uh, she helps, she guides him through this uh, like small wooden opening where she's got uh, a, a line hooked up to some like silverware and glass to, as her, what she calls her burglar alarm. Yeah. Um, very MacGyver esque, by the way. Yeah. Like her, her whole kitchen, her whole little setup is very like something that uh, MacGyver would have put together if he were on the run. Yeah. I wonder how often she actually needs a burglar alarm for her abandoned factory though. Like, uh, are people breaking in all the time and taking your stuff? Yeah, and it's it's a pretty big place because we see that there's multiple floors, like big staircases. It almost looks like a, a school. Yeah. Like rather than well, there's a well, there's a fireplace in her actual room, so maybe it was an apartment building. Yeah, it could have been. But uh, there's a lot of floors, so I'm assuming that there are multiple entrances. But I think this actually is like a warehouse district, and I'm pretty sure that it's all San Pedro. I'm assuming they would have shot all all of this episode down in San Probably. Pedro, but parts of it look like downtown Los Angeles. It could be downtown LA. Yeah. Uh, MacGyver, you know, she's trying to help MacGyver remember, and uh, she kind of goes into this little story about why she's a runaway that uh, her her father and potentially her mother abused her like she said that her father beat her up and then 
when she tried to complain that she said that nobody the, listened. In. Well, she her line was something like, "Then then they both went at me," and I don't know yeah. if that meant that, that the mom was also kind of beaten on her. Um, and then she gets a social worker, but the social worker just says, "Hey, to the parents, just clean up your act," and she gets sent back to them, only to get abused more. So she yeah. just left. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm assuming she's probably from the area. Although her her accent seems kind of seems kind of tough, more like New York tough. Hey, you know MacGyver. Yeah, I didn't. I couldn't uh, really place the accent. Uh, but here <clears> she's also uh, here she's also reminding him like who she is to him. Like he's mm-hmm. like, well, how do you even know who I am? And she's like, oh, you, we met this morning. You helped me catch a fish, and uh, and at that point he kind of like brings up how hungry he is and the fact that he can't remember anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, so she decides that I'm going to let's cook up this fish that I got. Yeah. Brain food. And it doesn't, it. yeah, right. But it doesn't look like she's giving him the fish that she caught that morning. It looks like she's taking a fish out of a bag that she had on a shelf in her house. Yeah. I mean, maybe, she, well, she said earlier in the episode that she doesn't fish to fish. She fishes for food. Right. You which is against fish. You fish for fishing. Yeah. <laughs> MacGyver should have explained that yeah. to her. So she'll, she'll take some tips from Harry, but mm-hmm. others she just throws away. Yeah, well, I don't fish for sport. I fish for food. You don't fish for fish. You fish for fishing. But she will take that fish right. from Harry. But uh, it looks like this fish wasn't even being refrigerated that she takes. like. She takes it out of a styrofoam cooler. So I... I there Maybe there's ice, ice in there. In yeah, yeah, I don't know where she's where she'd be getting it. Yeah. But uh, during this time, Nielsen and Barrett and the goons have found her friends, and they're they're kind of like not hassling them, but they're just like being overly inquisitive. It's like we want to talk to the guy. We're looking for the guy. He, you know, we don't. We're not going to hurt your friend. Yeah. And uh, we can assume that they told told them where she is hiding out further argument that these are the worst friends yeah exactly total to- three total strangers no badges i'm assuming were shown yeah one uh, of them's got a german accent automatically evil mm-hmm. this and they're default. just like right down the street take a left <laughs> yeah careful this, of the burglar door yeah burglar there, there's other ways to get in she's on the third floor anyway uh so they they show up and at this point macgyver has started to remember he he's piecing together. He, he knows his name. He knows he works for DXS. Mm-hmm. And he know he knows where the list is, and he knows that there are people after him. And he looks at his watch and he realizes that the countdown on his on his wrist is yeah. and that's down to like an hour now. Even the whole poisoning situation is coming back to him. Mm-hmm. So now the ticking clock is ever more uh, crucial to him. The goons find the place, and they come through. They trip Lisa's little burglar, burglar alarm. Left. And uh, MacGyver then puts together this overly elaborate yeah, trap. She has, um, she's has she been running uh, the power for her apartment off of a car battery that she found. Mm-hmm. Um, in a car, I guess. Yeah. And uh, and so sh- she has this like TV tube that's out of commission. Mm-hmm. So MacGyver hooks that up to the car battery, which I assume would, would overcharge it. Right. Um, and then he sets up like the circuitry so that when they open this door to get into the room where she's been living that it would complete the circuit and that this television would be overpowered by the car battery and explode. Right. But it, it, it really doesn't buy them much time. It buys them a couple seconds at most, and it takes all of like four minutes to put together. I, I feel if, as if they had just left the room and gone up and done the fire hose trick that they're going to do. Yeah. It would have had the same effect. Or, yeah, they, this was a, a needless distraction mm-hmm. for them. 
Um, but yeah, so then we see them uh, pulling this fire hose that they're throwing out a window to climb down. Um, at the same time, we're following the henchmen through the previous room. Mm-hmm. And uh, once by the time they get to this room, they're checking closets and stuff in mm-hmm. the room, and they and they see this this uh, the hose hanging out the window, and they assume, okay, these people have escaped. Yeah. And then they leave. But yeah, uh oh. Did anybody check under that couch in the corner? No. <laughs> no. Overturned couch in the corner, hiding two people. <laughs> With the shoes and feet sticking out. Yeah. <laughs> They're giggling. It's like, quiet. I can't believe they don't see us. <laughs> Your feet are sticking out. Once the goons leave, assuming that you know we don't know where they go, they go outside the building, and then Mac tells Lisa that who he is, what he did, what he does a little bit. In as much as he tells like Harry what he does, it's just like, I'm a good guy and I fight for freedom. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really explain anything. No, I got a list though. I got a list and it's important and I got to get it somewhere. So she tells, he tells, sorry, he tells Lisa to call Peter Thornton at the DXS. Right. Uh, I don't know why MacGyver doesn't do it, but. Yeah, he just starts running for it. Yeah, he, he runs back to the warehouse in hopes of getting the antidote, but. Sure, he could have gotten a phone, and the message would have been more more urgent. I would feel that if it came from him, yeah, he rather would have than put an stranger. emergency code on it. Yeah, like one hundred and one. Yeah, like he would have let them know, "Hey guys, urgent one hundred and one. If you ever called the XS, by the way, if you if you want them to come faster, just throw a little one hundred and one. Yeah, one hundred and one at the front, and then you're good." <laughs> I'm here to see someone at the DXS code 101. Oh, God. They just hit the alarm and everyone runs out of the building. 101. Oh, we, we recently changed 101 to fire. It's 102 is what you're looking okay. for. Okay. <laughs> see, that's an adjustment that probably could have been made more more public. <laughs> uh, so Mac makes his way back to the warehouse where uh, Chris was outside eating, <laughs> once again, Yet eating another a sandwich, sandwich. Partially eaten sandwich. This guy has had like 12 $5 foot longs so far. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's not losing he's any $60 weight. dollars in. <laughs> yeah, he's not yeah, losing is, weight. He's like a reverse Jared. Bizarro Jared. <laughs> uh, MacGyver sneaks up behind him uh, and starts letting out. Letting, this is, again, a weird distraction. He lets air out of a tire. Like, he plugs a nail into the to the nozzle of the air intake. What do you, what do you call that? Valve stem. That's what it is. There you go. <laughs> uh, and so the air's coming out. So Chris comes around to check it out. And MacGyver somehow had gotten into the car. Without him noticing. Without him noticing. So he opened the door, didn't shift the weight of the car enough for him to feel it, closed the door enough so that it appeared closed. And then as soon as Cripps comes down to look at the tire, he kicks the door out and knocks him out. Yeah, knocks him unconscious. Again, another opportunity to tie him up or do something so that he doesn't become a threat later on. But... He leaves him, just leaves him out on the street where anyone can see him. Yeah. Uh, Lisa manages to get the call out to Peter, but it doesn't get delivered right away. Because she doesn't give it a one-on-one. She doesn't give it a one-on-one. So and nobody knows. Even though everyone over at DXS is on high alert because MacGyver was kidnapped this morning. Yeah. When someone calls with his whereabouts and an explanation of his uh, having mm-hmm. been poisoned by, by East German yeah. like spies that are infiltrating the country... They're like, well, she didn't say 101, though. I mean, she's got all these other details, yeah. but she, I'm just going to sit on this. This this can't be a real call. You know what? I, I'm going to go on my lunch, and then Pete's probably going to go on his lunch right after that. I just feel like I'll just go up and bring it up this afternoon. Yeah. So Pete, finding out 
that this message came through about MacGyver's potential whereabouts freaks out. Yeah. And uh, it says, well, there's no urgent, there's, there was no urgent code on it. It's like, well, there is now. 101. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get every man we got. Uh, which then ends up being the police. I guess, I guess the police would be like. Maybe they just, it's an automatic call to like every armed services mm-hmm. and they're just coming from all directions. Uh, before the police arrive, MacGyver, now that Crisp is unconscious outside, starts setting up another uh, very elaborate, more interesting trap than before. Yeah. Uh, He's got some like water bottles tied together and he's got them strung from the ceiling and they're hanging above a piece plank of wood that's leaning against all these barrels. And it's a very Rube Goldberg kind of, kind of thing as MacGyver things often are. Yeah. Uh, that when this when these barrels fall, when the water bottles fall, they'll hit the wood and knock over. And the, the wood bows bit. out and mm-hmm. knocks over these barrels to it, collapse on these guys. It's really a lot to put together, actually. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it would require more strength than one person has. Yeah. To just sort of pulley these two full yeah, water cooler full. bottles up to the ceiling. Those things weigh like what at least. 20 pounds each well i can't put one on top of a water cooler without <laughs> completely drenching myself so yeah. i don't know how he was lifting two well and then and then just holding it in place with one foot yeah like this because uh he sets off a smoke alarm to bring the guard uh, bring uh two two of the other remaining goons out including barrett yeah and uh he's just sitting on the stairs holding it down with one foot sitting now it's if he was standing on it and then, then he at least is putting all of his weight on it. But yeah. right now, it's just the muscle strength in his lower yeah, leg. He, he's, he's just got calves for days. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the guards come out. Well, before they come out, uh, we should mention that despite the fact that Barrett and his completely incompetent henchmen oh, yeah. have done nothing to, to keep MacGyver trapped and to get any information from him, uh, they're still getting paid. Yeah. It seems like they're getting paid the full amount because they're getting paid a lot of money. Yeah, they, they he ends up like a big, huge pile of bills. Uh, Baird even like teases Nielsen like, well, it looks like you lose because we're idiots. Yeah, it's like, well, it turns out uh, you're not under arrest yet. And let's not wait like 20 minutes to find out if that's coming. Mm-hmm. Let's just, you pay me right now and we're going to get out of here, okay? Uh, you know, but Nielsen's not worried. Like he says, well, MacGyver's dead. The list is, no one knows where the list is except him. Uh, all's well that ends well for as far as he's concerned. Yeah. Even though he knows that the serum, he's by now his head is clear, and even though it's going to kill him eventually, he could still tell somebody. Yeah. Um, he told that girl. He could have told that girl for all we know. Yeah. He didn't, but he could have. Uh, probably should have. Probably should have, just as, just as like a failsafe. A failsafe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just think. <laughs> Because it's probably pretty important, worth his life. I think he probably knows that he's invincible the same way that we do. Yeah. I mean, he was holding these two bottles with one foot. Yeah. One foot. One Not even foot. two feet. <laughs> so these guys come out, and he lifts his one magical foot. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're, they're just caught in this avalanche of, of uh, barrels, barrels, basically. And then uh, he goes after... Uh, Nielsen. Mm, well, yeah, he, he well bun- Nielsen comes after him. Yeah, well, Nielsen comes out after hearing the commotion, and he he just bypasses everybody. He just, like, walks right to the exit door. I would assume he's just trying to get out at this yeah. point. Like, he doesn't care about killing MacGyver. He's got his gun drawn in, in case anyone tries to stop him, but I think he's just And not- for some reason, he brought the antidote with him in case he needed to cure MacGyver. <laughs> yeah. 
I would have just flushed that thing down the toilet. So, so yeah. by Bef- now, before I invented it, <laughs> <laughs> we should spend hours inventing this antidote. Let's see it. Bloop. <laughs> I'll just tell him this is the antidote. <laughs> it's, it's a tic-tac. It's just a... <laughs> that would have been more believable than a metal tube with one Advil in it. Yeah. <laughs> I've um, got such a headache. <laughs> Here, take this, MacGyver. It turns out we just gave you a headache. That's all that injection does. Oh, it's an escape from uh, L.A. And then he erases uh, all of human technology. Mm-hmm. MacGyver! <laughs> uh, so he gets the jump on Nielsen, uh, and like they, they have like a little bit of a fight outside. and uh, you, know, you hear the sirens approaching, and Nielsen, realizing that he's about to be caught, shows him, like, you know, I've got the tube here, and now you know, you're never going to have any... Does this perfect throw? Yeah, right into a like a storm drain. I could probably make it in by accident. Yeah, because like you, you throw something and this like the odds of it hitting it perfectly and tumbling in are pretty. I could, I could throw it in that grate only if I was trying for it to not land in the grate. Yeah, exactly. That's the only way I could have done that. And so for him, the odds are on the fact that if he throws it, it would have just bounced off the grate and rolled right up to MacGyver. Yeah, because it's a long tube. It's yeah. much longer than it needs to be for a single pill. Yeah. And, We're uh, assuming there's only one in here, but... Yeah, I, I guess. Because well, yeah, he just dumps it out like a Pez dispenser. I assume if there were more than one, he would have taken however many there were, too. <laughs> Why would you give me so many antidote pills? <laughs> but yeah, it falls into this storm drain. And, uh... And then the guy kind of laughs at MacGyver, even as police are approaching, and says, like, you know, at, at least you're going to die, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Um, and then MacGyver kind of stumbles over to him, and he's like, you don't even have the strength. Yeah. And then MacGyver wastes all the strength he has left, punching him as hard as he can, mm-hmm. knocking him unconscious, I think. Yeah. Although it's a weird cut, because he flies away, hits a wall, and tumbles to the ground, and then you just kind of see his body, like lean over to the left and he's got blood coming down of his mouth yeah and it's like Ooh, is that like a death a death did scene did he hit him that hard yeah i don't know Yikes. um but then macgyver looks across the street uh, by the way this whole fight is being just watched calmly by lisa with her hands in her pockets yeah like just completely out of reach and she's known this entire time that he's been under the influence of something mm-hmm. um she's pretending that just now she knows that he's been poisoned yeah and that this is an antidote what was all that talk about an antidote like <laughs> the antidote the thing that he threw in the grate you didn't you weren't watching that whole thing just happen you've been poisoned is that what this is all about i don't understand why the script didn't say lisa shows up here after yeah. he knocks the guy unconscious mm-hmm. but then macgyver looks across the street at these um these metal poles um and my first thought is, okay, he's going to wedge the grate open and try yeah. to get down there. Because, I mean, it looks heavy, but I would think with the combined effort and a little bit of, you know, crowbar, fulcrum, what's the word I'm looking for? That's it, crowbar, yeah. fulcrum. <laughs> <laughs> but they can pry it open. I don't really see why they can't pry this thing open. Yeah. Uh, but so then MacGyver picks up one of the poles and he just starts wailing on a fire hydrant, which I <laughs> thought, like, oh, is he trying to, like flood the storm drain and then he's going to get it from somewhere else or is like this poison is finally causing permanent brain damage yeah and he's just gone crazy don't worry i'll kill him (laughs) i almost got him (laughs) that's not a person that's a fire hydrant but it turns out that macgyver is still a genius yeah he is taking the iron bar and hitting it hard against this fire hydrant which he he talks about um, it 
it causing all the ions to go to the other end. I don't know if that's the exact terminology. What I looked up and saw it's that, like the way they're oriented. Yeah, the the way the 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 atoms of iron they form clusters called domains, and each of those domains is usually pointed in another direction, and so as a result, the iron bar has no magnetic field. Right. But by banging it hard enough, and the if you're concussive force, yeah, and if you're facing north, if you're aligning yourself with the Earth's magnetic field, that you can actually apply a very weak magnetic field to it. Right. Um, but I think what he says does make sense when he says they're all moving to one end. He doesn't mean moving to one end of the pole. He means moving to one end of the molecule. Yeah. And uh, and so it was like that can't work, right? It really does. It's a real thing yeah. about applying a magnetic field to And it would to be iron. a very weak magnetic field, but very assuming weak. he's he's pointed magnetic north exactly mm-hmm. when he's hammering on this fire hydrant, then what he's doing should have caused that to be a very weak magnet, which yeah. is all he would need to lift at this tiny metal Two. thing, because it's a very long pole. Yeah, yeah. So it should have it should be enough force potentially. No, oddly enough that the the tube with the antidote weighs like two pounds. <laughs> I I also was worried that maybe he grabbed like the second longest pole and there was another one that he could have reached it with. He's gonna have to go and do this again. <laughs> like, ah, oh, why did I why did I just look? <laughs> why did I grab this three foot pole? Uh, so yeah, he slides it down into the grate. Struggles with it like one or twice it falls, like dramatic tension it falls. Yeah. But he manages to get it. But then, too cool to take off his jacket. Like, he's, yeah, he's reaching through this storm drain and he's got his his jacket is like bunching up on him so he can't even pull the pole back out. Yeah. So he has to reach in with his other hand to, to adjust his sleeve. Uh, but then, you know, gets the pill out, pops it into his mouth, swallows it. I think he had two minutes left right. on the watch. It's essentially we end on a Mentos commercial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mentos makes you full of life. Nothing's better what comes. Fresh goes better with life. <laughs> MacGyver's fresh and full of life. <laughs> and then, uh, and that's the end. That's the end, yeah. it's uh, you know, He's got the pill, won the day, police are coming. The, the I guess, like the little closing moment, the little button that you get for the episode is Lisa's back out on the fishing. Right wharf you know she's, she's still a poor orphan yeah not an orphan but runaway and i was actually really surprised with how they ended the episode uh i would have thought like she was going to go to a foster family or to an orphanage or or they were going to deal with the parents in some kind of way yeah but i think she's actually supposed to be older we're never told her age right so but i think so she's supposed to actually be older because she talks about studying to get her ged yeah and so uh macgyver says well i came to tell you that the Phoenix Foundation or the DXS, right, is has a government scholarship. Then I put your name in for it. Right, and this is something that I think is going to come up later in the show, where MacGyver, like, when people help him out, he he works out little extras through the organization, right, to kind of reward them for their assistance in his mission. Well, it's their patriotic duty. I mean, like they yeah. they they've done a service for their country. They should get something. So essentially, this girl by by putting her life potentially at risk. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know where that would have happened. She seems like she's pretty safe the whole time. Nobody ever has yeah. her captured and they don't really want her anyway they don't actually even seize her yeah until because uh, like they know that she's with a girl but they don't even know what she looks like that's true yeah but um yeah so he he offers to uh to have dxs basically cover her her, her education yeah her college education which i'm assuming has room and board included yeah. because she obviously can't go home but i was surprised like they weren't like that there wasn't something about like bringing up charges against the parents, which I guess would be more sad than than this happy moment of we're going to pay for your education and you're gonna you're gonna 
become a better person as a result of this nowadays it seems like it would be more beneficial to give someone a really good fishing lure than a full college education yeah you can at least feed yourself with a fishing lure Mm -hmm. all right and that's uh that's basically the end of this one Mm -hmm. uh go into the credits here and uh i like this episode a lot yeah it's 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 a it's a nice little episode uh you know again we were saying it's our first amnesia episode right but it's there's a lot of tension in it that uh you know the, the death serum is always like this really cool kind of ticking clock concept and it's our first real ticking clock situation since the pilot i mean we i mean there's a sort of ticking clock with the golden triangle because it's like narai's going to be coming back and yeah. things are going to go down but it's never like death is imminent if mm-hmm. we don't get this mission accomplished by this set time right and we're literally seeing a clock repeat in the episode and and what's what's even more tense about it is that the villains don't care like like yeah the, the, there is a ticking clock but when it expires it's it really only the, affects macgyver yeah there's no consequences for them like if they if they succeed in their mission of getting the list back that's fine but if macgyver just dies and doesn't tell anyone then that's that's, that's a, fine too. a minor victory. Their people are paid just as much either way. Yeah, but uh, yeah, good episode. Uh, Tammy Lauren is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does an awesome job. And you got a chance to speak with Tammy Lauren, who is the star co-star of the episode. Yes, and without further ado, allow me to present our interview with Lisa Allen, as played by Tammy Lauren. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Not a problem. So how did you get into acting initially? Oh, let's see. Well, you know, I was a child actor. I started when I was eight. Um, we lived in San Diego, and there was a, a you know, the, the theater uh, group down there. And so I expressed interest. I read early. So I auditioned for a play. I got in, and that led my parents to thinking, well, maybe we should try to get her an agent started in commercials and then um you know and then i i i actually and for child actors it's a lot different too you know you 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 have a easier i think an easier entrance obviously nobody expects you to have a full resume so i got into uh tv with gary marshall that was my first show because he was doing happy days at the time it was really exciting for me yeah and uh in fact macgyver was the first uh, 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 job that I did where I was technically considered an adult because I was an emancipated teenager, and uh, that meant I could I didn't have to work with the child labor laws. Oh, okay. So when I first started, uh, you know, they were all they were all teasing me because. You know, I was so excited to be working as, as an adult, uh, not not realizing, of course, that they had very long days. Yeah. Yeah, especially on that one. Do you recall a lot of the atmosphere on set? Oh, well, okay. So for me, you know, he was like the coolest guy. Um, and for me, it was... It was more about uh, how, I don't know, it was new then, so nobody kind of understood what it would become, but it was, uh, it was, it was also very dirty. Yeah. We were always dirty. I remember that more than anything else. We were always <laughs> just filthy. Um, were you a fan of the show when it became popular? Mm, you know, that's hard for me to answer because I think as I grew up, uh, 
doing it, it's hard for me to be a fan of anything. I, 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 I see the people. I, I, I see the mechanics of it. So I don't really watch a lot of TV sure. like that. Uh, that's why when, you know, uh, the, the, reality shows and things like that and do-it-yourself shows and all that. Cooking shows are my new thing. <laughs> I, you know, that those those I get a bigger kick out of. Sure. Were there any memorable moments on set you'd like to share? Let's see. Um, well, we were doing this scene and we were hiding in this uh, really filthy space. It, it was, it, I was a runaway. I was something like that. And we were just and it was just a really long, brutal day. And uh, uh, um, we were, I don't know, trying to, they were trying to, you know, wrap it up quickly, get everybody out so everybody could go home. And uh, he was supposed to be hurt, you know. Right. And so it was us with this old, dirty mattress and the, the warehouse that we were shooting was in this really horrible area of L.A. and we kind of fit right in because we both look like vagrants too. <laughs> and and uh, he turned to me and he goes, "So um, you liking this being an adult actor? You like it? Probably not. Probably not. Right? <laughs> probably not." Uh, that was that was probably the funniest moment. He, he teased me a lot because he thought that was cute. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how would you compare your experience working on a, an action series like MacGyver with with sitcom work like your your appearances on Home Improvement or the Drew Carey Show? Oh, <laughs> well, it's it, it's the actual workday is different. Um, like on a sitcom, you, you you just rehearse all week, and then there's an audience. So there's only really that one day where you're actually performing, performing. Yeah. Um, and when you do an action. It's it's every day, and the hours are really really long, and you generally will get hurt, especially if you're clumsy, like I happen to be. <laughs> and in the sitcom, you have banker's hours, and you're only on like one day a week. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the role of Alexander Amberson from Robert Kurtzman's Wishmaster. <laughs> yeah. What was it like working with horror royalty like Robert England, Kane Hodder, and Tony Todd? It was awesome, especially Robert, because he's just so cool. He's just such a cool guy. And we had, like, um, you know, for him, he was just so excited he got to be, like, human, like, normal-looking. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? So he was really excited, but, and he was excited to be the victim. I yeah. think the funniest part was the was him doing the scene where he had to be <laughs> the victim. I thought that was hysterical. Um, it was, it was everybody. I mean, Wes, Wes produced it, but Robert, you know, the Kurtzman, the director, he's a huge, you know, guy in special effects makeup. Yeah. Every, everybody on that was sort of like iconic in a way. Yeah. And, and Robert kept running around telling everybody, because it was his first directing job, you just watch. We're going to be a cult hit. You just watch. And of course, <laughs> no one believed him. I mean, we're like, yeah, Robert, okay. But, you know, it, it, it kind of did. I was, I've never been more shocked at how many wishmasters they managed to squeeze out of that. <laughs> yeah, I think there's four in total. Mm hmm. Robert England actually uh, shows up on MacGyver a couple episodes after yours in Flames End, uh, season one, episode 13. Did 
Did he really? Yeah, it, it was in. It was also in the first season. And actually, Tony Todd came came uh, came on the show uh, way further down the line in like season five. So, but yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> Playing a human again. So. That's so funny. Well, I just did this episode on uh, Criminal Minds, where I had to do this uh, uh, rabies victim. Oh, okay. I know. I, it's another glamour job. So <laughs> I was, I, you know, so I had to, I, you know, it's, it's hideous. I looked hideous. No one wanted to touch me. <laughs> and the guy, you know, uh, that they brought in to do my makeup was Robert's personal makeup artist. He was the one that created Freddie. Oh, wow. So isn't it great? Yeah. So it was like a really small world, and we were talking about that, and he kept going, oh, we have to get to, we have to go have dinner with you, me, and Robert. And I'm like, I would, you know what, I'd, I'd like bring him dinner. I love Robert so much. <laughs> and uh, going a little further back, I wanted to ask what it was like working with Robin Williams on the set of Mork and Mindy as a kid. Wow. Um, you know, when I started, uh, I, was, I was working for Gary Marshall. And I was doing another show. It was a spinoff of Blansky's Beauties. Uh, Scott Bale was in it. it. It's a very uh, incestuous group that Gary had sure. on all his shows, you know. And um, and all of a sudden, we were. It, it was a. It was a very not much. Jim Belushi did it. A bunch of people did it, but nobody was watching it at the time. Yeah. Well, Robin came in to do warm up for our our studio audience. <laughs> Okay, because Gary would often uh, have people do that. Now, Gary knew he was going to develop a show for Robin, and Robin knew that, but nobody else knew that. And he would he would do the warm up. So I'm this really precocious kid that probably annoyed everyone. <laughs> so I would go up in the audience when he was doing this, because of course I was bored, you know, and and we would we would. I would just joke around with him, and he loved it because he loved having kids there to play with. Yeah. <laughs> because, and it was because of that, it was Robin that asked for me to do Mark and Mindy. Oh, that's great. And it was um, the, the greatest regret I ever had. He's, he's, he's just an incredible uh, genius. He was a genius. Yeah. It, it, what you saw was it was him. He would entertain everyone all the time. He, he just was always on. And um, I was under contract to Paramount at the time. And Robin said, you know, maybe uh, he, he got them to offer me a series regular on the show because he thought we, we did so well. On Mork and Mindy? On Mork and Mindy. And I was already committed to uh, the half-hour show that was actually going to follow Mark and Mindy, I think, uh, Angie. Oh, okay. So I couldn't do it. Oh. How much does that suck? <laughs> that's, that's not fun. That was not fun. That, I guess that was actually my first major career disappointment. I really wanted to do Mark and Mindy. I loved working with Robin. You never knew what was going to happen. The, wor the hardest part about working with him was keeping a straight face. Sure. That makes sense. You know, but, yeah, he's a genius. A, a genius. Yeah. And lastly, I have uh, kind of an odd question. Um, your episode of MacGyver starts in San Pedro Harbor. 
where you're fishing alongside it's it's actually it's a victory class cargo ship it's called the ss lane victory uh-huh. um and in preparation for speaking with you today i was rewatching wishmaster and do you recall where the first scene of that movie takes place when they when they're in oh present day oh my god down in san pedro it's it's That's so weird it's the same ship it's the ss lane victory that's so weird yeah and considering how many of us did macgyver yeah, exactly. If only Richard Dean would have understood how many horror people he was spawning. <laughs> yeah, well, I just thought that was a funny coincidence. I wondered if you were aware. No, I wasn't. Not until you just said it. I even forgot about the scene where I was fishing. I didn't remember <laughs> it until you just mentioned it. All right. Well, I, th- I think that was all the questions we had for you today. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show and chatting with us. Not a problem. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Yeah. Good luck with the show. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was so great of her to give us her time. Yeah. Uh, I really liked the stories about Robin Williams that she had to say. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Robin Williams is still kind of near and dear to us, and sure. the his passing is still very hard, but it's still really great to hear stories uh, from his antics that he had on the set. <laughs> I also really, really like the uh, Richard Dean Anderson teasing her aspect uh, yeah. of <laughs> because you know you, you think of these sets as as controlled environments, but according to the, the, what the sound like, they were just really at an abandoned warehouse and it was dirty and they were hiding around in the dirt and just getting gross. And you know that's 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 real acting. That is real acting on CBS's TV action series MacGyver. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, so I, I guess that technically then that would have been um, like downtown Los Angeles. Like we were saying, it was either San Pedro or downtown. But the, the warehouses really look like downtown to me. So uh, that sounds like that's probably where they shot it. And I think that it's important that uh, now that we've introduced Pete and we instantly see who, who, what kind of person Pete is. Yeah. Like he sees the, he sees the goons. He's like, which one do you want? Both. Yeah. Uh, they don't take... make him out to be like a desk jockey yeah it's like no this guy's ready to take on the bad guys mm-hmm. mono mono yeah and he takes a bullet or i mean mono like... manos <laughs> he's ready to fight two of them <laughs> hands of fate the hand <laughs> the hands of fate exactly and then uh, he gets shot and knocked out immediately. yeah uh so it's you know obviously the phoenix foundation will come into play later but we're instantly getting this relationship they're friends they know each other and uh, uh, the, the, this is where the show is going to be from now on. Yeah. Is that MacGyver is going to have be working for Pete in some fashion for the most part. Like he'll, he does the odd job. Yeah. But uh, I've never been more excited now. Like I'm more excited than I ever am because the Phoenix Foundation and everything that it stands for is going to be some really fun times. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to continue. And again, if you're as excited as we are about uh, the Phoenix Foundation uh, getting into the mix, or a precursor to the Phoenix Foundation anyway, and Pete, Pete Thornton jumping on board, uh, you should tell us about it. Um, again, we have our Twitter account, which is at Opening Gambit, all one word. And uh, you can like us on Facebook, and that's facebook.com slash Phoenix Foundation Podcast. And of course, we can always be reached at our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. Which, uh, if you're not checking in, you should be, because there's uh, interesting little tidbits that we add in our uh, mm-hmm. blog posts when the episodes go up. Little factoids and uh, interesting catches and, and locations. screen grabs of things that, that we mention on the show. So um, it might be you, you might find it interesting. And uh, again, if, if you have time and you're enjoying the show, uh, feel free to review us on iTunes. 
I think that about wraps it up for Season 1, Episode 11, Nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, next week, we're going to be covering a fantastic episode. Yeah. Uh, season 1, Episode 12, Deathlock. Very exciting. Yeah, one of my favorites. So I, I hope you will uh, check back in for that one, because that is, that is one heck of an episode. All right, thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.